the Stats fans, Jonathan Walsh, back behind the microphone for the first time in 2023. Uh, Rapt to be back and Rapt as always to be joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, happy new year if it's not too late to say that on, on Jan 25th as we're putting this together. Uh, no, I think- hey, how you been, mate? Yeah, good, good. Just enjoying the the extended holidays I get as a, as a teacher. Got to go back on Friday, uh, which is good. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to work, but uh, had a bit of a nice break, headed off to Lawn uh, for a week with the the two kids, and that was quite fun. How about yourself? What did you get up to? Uh, I've been back at work since the ninth, so a little bit of a longer break for me than normal as well, uh, which was nice, but didn't didn't do much. Uh, I really lucky I'm um, heading off mid season for a couple of weeks. I got some tickets in the ballot to day two at Lords, so I'm I'm saving my holidays for a couple of weeks in uh, in the UK and Europe later this year. But yeah, no, I haven't been up to much, mate. A couple of day trips and weekend trips uh, down to the coast as well, like you, and uh, yeah, nice just to. Uh, to chill out and enjoy some friends and family time. Yeah, well, look, as we're getting closer to the start of the season, we're going to start ramping up what what we're doing and, and looking more, you know, factually and uh, statistically and analytically at, at what's going on at, at Essendon. But uh, we're just going to spend today, you know, talking about the past a little bit and, and one of the things that we've been up to over uh, the past uh, month or so. But before we do that, I would just like to make a thank you to our inaugural patrons um, that are Lucamus, John Cooper, Vince Tascunas, Silvertop Hurley, Matthew DeLuca, Greg Martin, Tobias Johansson, Philip Crooks. Philip Crooks also won our inaugural Don's Quiz uh, on s- the Sunday night. So well done to Phil. Uh, Sam Allardyce, Lachlan Hatfield, Paul Gregg, Deborah Ford, and the man only known as H. Uh I went through what's involved in the Patreon in the previous episode. So if you are interested, go back and check that out. Uh, if you're interested in signing up, you can find that description, the link to that in this episode description. Yes, that's all. That's all I've got to say on that. It's really pleasing to have so many people, you know, supporting us and saying that we, out their money uh, is well spent on us, or at least I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been overwhelming, mate. I, I did. I didn't think we'd get that many listeners when we did our first episode, let alone 12 months on when our, uh, people were uh, supporting us in that way. So it's, it's great to see. And, and our first Patreon episode, uh, your interview with Greg Martin, uh, a.k.a. Dad of Nick, is uh, is up and available for the next week or two and before we, we make it available for everyone. And, and, you know, our plan going forward isn't necessarily to – to have those types of interviews behind there um, exclusively. We, we want to make everything available, but we will be doing some exclusive Patreon content throughout the season That's probably goes a little bit deeper into the analytical side of things. Uh, but, yeah, but I'm sure there's more to come and, and we'll continue to evolve things. But, yeah, great job setting that up. Uh, but we're here to talk about uh, the best wins or best Essendon wins since 1990, a, a tournament that you've uh, you've set up or a poll through Twitter that you've set up that's had, uh, yeah, it's been great to walk down memory lane. And I, I echo uh, Jez's point from a couple of weeks ago where he, he made the mention that how good it is to wake up in the morning and, and see your poll there and, and reminisce about a couple of the great games from the last few decades of Essendon. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're down to the final eight, mate. Um, but do you want to just recap for, for those that maybe haven't followed a little bit about uh, how we've got to where we've got to with this one. Yeah, so in December, I sort of came up with this idea and I, I put out on Twitter what people considered to be the best Essendon wins since 1990. And we had a really strong response there from a lot of people. 
putting up a lot of wins, uh, a lot of the obvious ones and then a lot of the ones that you may have forgotten about. But when you actually thought about it, you know, you got that memory back and you realised how great a win it was. So I put ended up putting together a short list based on what the majority of people had posted if there were things that had multiple nominations that went through and then I had to make a few judicious cuts at the end there. But once I had that short list of 32, I asked Jono to arrange his top eight uh, and that would be the top eight seeds. And so once he did that, I then bracketed the reigning 24 based on uh, how many positive responses they'd got. And so I used that to create a bracket, which we're working through. So luckily when you've got a 32 team bracket, you can work through one matchup a day and it'll take 31 days, which lines up with January. So that worked out pretty well. So we're doing a matchup a day and then the winner of the matchup through the Twitter poll uh, goes forward to the next round. So we've actually now reached the quarterfinals uh, and the final of the tournament is going to take place on the last day of January. Now, in terms of what was considered, uh, it had to be any win from 1990 onwards. So that was inclusive. That did mean no draws. There were a couple of people who did ask if the 1995 Anzac Day would be eligible because obviously that is such a important game in the history of Essendon. But uh, after asking people what they thought, we decided no draws. And that's only home and away wins that are accepted. I thought that finals wins would have too much of a uh, weighting towards it that would uh, that would scale in terms of how people responded to them. And that meant, obviously, that the 1993 Crows game was ineligible. Uh, given given what you know about all the other matches in the tournament and your knowledge of that, that preliminary final, do you think it would have been the favourite if it was eligible? Yeah, I, I think so. I think for, for most... People certainly of, of my um, vintage and, and yours, you know, have fond memories of that game. I think even the grand final in 1993 would have ranked right up there for a lot of people. And I think the other final that uh, is close to a lot of people's hearts will be that 2000 qualifying final against North Melbourne, where we probably played the, the best game of football, I think, that I've seen SM play. It wasn't a contest, but to, to win a qualifying final in uh, in by 125 points against a, a North Melbourne team that had been up for a long time was was pretty incredible. They were the the reigning premiers after all, weren't they? So, um, so yes. Yeah, so I think uh, I think yeah, there would have been a few finals that that would have made it, and I'm pretty sure David King's still celebrating his first goal he kicked in that game. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I think I think restricting it to home and away was a good thing to do because we I don't, I don't think we think about home and away often enough but there's been so many great moments over uh you know since that 1990 period um so yeah it's been good fun yeah and obviously when you get down to it you get, and eventually going to have games which are highly rated which are going to be knocked out and not make the top eight and you know obviously a lot depends on which game matches up against which other game but the ones uh, that didn't make the top eight that i was most surprised about i don't know if this lines up with the ones that you would think, but uh, the North 99 round 17 game, uh, that was the Carey 10 goals, Lloyd 7 with the uh, goal out of midair f- from Lloyd that I, I can still remember. I don't think I saw it live, but I remember seeing the the highlights on the news that night and just being jaw dropped with that that went through. That was my one. Um, Geelong 2011 round 15, like, again, that's a really positive one given that Geelong went on to win the flag. And uh, I think that ending to that game was was pretty powerful with the, the last passage of play ending in the Melksham goal and that one there. And I think one that you're really fond of that didn't quite make it through was uh, the Melbourne 1992 uh, on Anzac Day, sort of a pre, you know, Anzac Day traditional game that took place. Just on that 92 game, can you give a 
you I it's not a game that I personally remember. Can you just give a quick description of what happened there for people and and maybe they'll go check it out after this show? Yeah, we had a a reasonably young side then. I mean, Melbourne were pretty young too, but we were 42 points, I want to say, down at at three-quarter time, uh, give or take. So we we came from a long way back and it was a game where, I mean, Gavin Wanganeen had already shown that he was going to be a pretty special player, but where I think he really stepped up and showed his pure match-winning ability. So he he makes a, a diving tackle late in the game that, uh, you know, you just wouldn't expect it. He, he would have made, got a got a free kick and then kicked a goal from. Uh, it, I haven't gone back and watched the highlights. I should have, but it, it's one that maybe over the years you add, you know, a metre at a time to, to how far he was out. But uh, I'm pretty sure he was outside 50. He was certainly beyond a, a comfortable kicking distance that, that you know, we, we'd known know him to kick so uh so yeah and it was anzac day you know so obviously a special day for for lots of right re- well for reasons beyond just football and, and it does predate that essendon collingwood rivalry and then yeah that north 1999 one i was really barracking for that that's one of my favorite games of footy just from a pure football experience uh, uh to to sit back and watch carrie and lloyd two of the great forwards really you know, nail their craft. We we had a lot of plans going into that that game to try and stop Kerry, and and none of them worked. Which you know happened a lot over his career. But yeah, that Lloyd goal is probably uh, my favourite Essendon goal on his opposite foot out of me there. It was pretty special. Yeah, I, you know, before we move on to the the final eight, that was another one. As as you sort of say, that was probably the one I was most disappointed didn't make it through. I think it was one verse one verse two. The best best two sides going at it, you know, a lot of people talk about that 2009 Geelong St Kilda games being one of the best of all time. I think, given you know, given about the the thing we don't talk about happened, I think if if that doesn't happen, that North 99 game gets a bit more respect and a bit more kudos than it otherwise does. We don't want to dwell on 99 for that much longer. Let's move forward then. So let's go. What we're going to do. For the remainder of the shows, we're going to go through the final eight games in a bit more detail uh, and just sort of, you know, we're not going to recap it from, you know, point to point, but we're just going to sort of give our memories of of what this game meant to us and, and our recollections of it. So, first one we're going to start with is another North Melbourne game, and I think it's the one most people would think of when they're thinking of Essendon North Melbourne or best wins in the past 30 years, uh, and that's the game in 2001 and round 16, the great comeback game. Uh, Essendon 27-9, 171, defeat North Melbourne 25-9, 159. So the numbers, I think, uh, etched in people's minds, trailing by 58 at quarter time and, and 69, 10 minutes into the second quarter, and just some amazing efforts from from players to to really drive the team towards reining in that lead and then keeping in front. A lot of times you see teams, you know, rein in a lead and then they've spent all their petrol tickets and aren't able to finish it. Uh, some of the standout performances, uh, Jason Johnson with 31 disposals and four goals, uh, Carousella, 28 disposals and three goals, and then Matthew Lloyd with nine goals. Uh, this was this is the second game I ever attended. Uh, I nearly walked out, you know, at quarter time. Mum made me stay. Thankfully, she did. So, you know, at least I can say I was there for the for the entirety of, of that game. You were you were working for the club at that time, and, and you were in the box. What stories have you got regarding that game? Yeah, I, I think it is probably the best I saw or experienced Sheedy in, in the box. I mean, Sheeds is a genius and and coached for a long time, and and I, you know, was fortunate to work alongside him from halfway through the '97 um, season to after he retired, and. Um, 
or up until when not retired, up until when he finished coaching Essendon, of course. Uh, but if you if you had have walked into the coach's box halfway through that second quarter, or you know just before quarter time, and not known the score, you you wouldn't have realised that we were down by ten goals. He was he was just really calm, and and he had this incredible ability throughout his career. Uh, and certainly showed it and displayed it in this game uh, of just making the complicated seem really easy. And and all he would say to his coaches through that comeback was, okay, what do we need to do now to get the next goal? What move can we make to get another goal? And, and you know, we'd score a goal and then it would be, okay, what do we do now to get the next one? And how do we get the next one? And then that permeated through the players as well and, and the message to the players. And he really took control of the situation. The message to the players was, you know, we're, we're not going to come back from 10 goals in one quarter. We need, we've got three quarters to do it. If they can do it to us in one quarter, we can do it to them over three. And, you know, the targets were, let's get, you know, let's try and get back within six goals at, at halftime. And then, you know, we're, we, we're almost half them. And then, you know, back within three goals at three quarter time and then, and then do the job in the last quarter. So, yeah, so I, I really remember just the calmness of him and, and, and the way that that allowed everybody to just go to work and, and operate. Um, and yeah, ultimately played out the way it did. And, and we had some, we had a few guys out, you know, that game. I, I can't remember who now, but I, I remember Lalich was playing. I remember Corey McGar was playing one of his early games. Uh, I think Mark Bolton was playing as well. So those guys weren't in our grand final side at the end of the year. So, so yeah, we, we didn't have our, our full team available and yeah, pretty incredible win. Well, as, as you sort of say, it's sort of the genius of Sheedy there. There'd be a lot of coaches whose first instinct at, you know, when they're 58 points down at quarter time to, you know, go rant and rave and, you know, try and fire them up that way. But the fact that he, that he was so calm and methodical, you know, really, really showed what a great coach he was there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to game two, which is facing the North Melbourne game in its quarterfinal. It's Fremantle 2013 round three, Essendon 10, 12, 72, defeat Fremantle 9, 14, 68. This is obviously, you know, right in the middle of the saga. Uh, This was the the same day that I think it was Caroline Wilson announced that Heard was going to stand down or quit. I can't remember which in just before the game. And so there was obviously all that pressure leading into it from there. And then to go down one goal to half time, trailing by 36 points. Uh, sorry, one goal, one goal to half time, trailing by 36 points then. And to, just to work the way back, you know, really, really showed the the strength of that side, particularly, you know, for, for the majority of that season, backs backs to the wall, dealing with a whole heap of adversity and able to work their way back and achieve a, a quite famous victory. Uh, some of the key stats there, uh, Brendan Goddard, 26 disposals, Hibbard, 25, and Cramery with, with three goals. I think the key moment that really stands out to me uh, when I think about this game is Jake Kylile at halfback. Uh, Travis Colley is trying to switch to play, you know, makes a, a poor kick that, puts Hooker under pressure. Hooker, you know, does a pretty fair job of trapping the ball and then handballing it towards Carlisle. Carlisle gets his kick smothered and is able to recover and then spin his way through three other players to get the ball forward to Dempsey. And I think that's the chain that ends up leading to that rider goal where he's uh, telling the crowd to to uh, shush and and the like. And, you know, that, that really stuck with me watching that live. What's your memories of that game? Yeah, I, I didn't watch this one live. I was at a, a good mate's wedding out in the Yarra Valley and, and couldn't get really good reception to, to – I, I don't think you could even stream it on your phone back then, but you could listen to the radio and the like, and I couldn't really do that. So I was tracking the scores through that, and uh, my dad was at the game and he was texting me 
uh, updates. But yeah, ironically, my mate is a, a mad Don's fan, and, and as is as is his family. So his dad and I were desperately trying to get updates. So I didn't I didn't watch it live, and then I, I've got a feeling because it was a per- over in Perth, right? So it was, yeah. it was it finished pretty late here. So I got a feeling. I got in a taxi and we sort of raced into town so I could try and find a pub to watch the finish but didn't get there in time. Um, but, yeah, I I did watch the replay. The other thing that comes to me, mind to me, other than the obvious and, and the carry-on from the crowd uh, and the and the, the drama around the herd situation, et cetera, was that um, – so we hit the front early in the first quarter, didn't we? I think Heppel kicked a goal that, that probably put us a goal and a half in front early in the – in the quarter and then they came back and I don't think they quite hit the front or they might've got up by a point or two. And then they, uh, they kicked like their last five, six, seven scoring shots from memory were all behinds and, and Hurley kicked a goal in between and then Ryder, the one that you mentioned. And then I think even after that, so Hurley put us in front, but I think they kicked two more points to finish the game. So uh, yeah, I, I remember it just being sort of, Death by a thousand cuts, will we or won't we? And, and you know, great win given everything that was happening at our club at the time. Um, but also uh, one that we we're probably a little bit lucky to get away with because I reckon Frio blew some chances. Well, the last one was was main there. You know, open goal hits the post. You know, that's sort of right. Rushing, rushing a snap, and yeah. that, that ended up being being the game there. I think just I never felt we were out of it. I think Ross Lyon sides, you know, they they're, they're quite disciplined and the like, but they also don't put you away. So it was one of those games where, you know, you, you obviously weren't playing well the first half, but you never felt out of it because Fremantle weren't putting you away. And so then obviously you, the rest is history. We, we came back and won and it's one of the, it's made the top eight of the best Essendon wins since 1990. Let's move on to the third game. Now this is again, another famous game, the Geelong 1993 round six game. So Essendon 23-18-156 versus Geelong 19-18-132. So obviously it's a 24 point margin. Don't think that really reflects the the closest of the game was the three point difference at three quarter time. For Essendon side, Joe Mercedes 35 disposals, Gary O'Donnell 28, and then Salmon with 10 goals. But, you know, I think this game this game often comes up because it's it's Salmon versus base it's Essendon versus one player and that player was uh, Gary Ablett Senior who, you know 25 disposals 14 goals 7 which is absolutely ridiculous 91 points on his own now this is not a game that I only know this game through you know history and hearing people talk about it you were there what's what are your recollections of that one yeah, I, I was still quite young at, at that point, uh, but I, I do remember it and, and have watched it a lot since. Uh, I think it was just one that you had to be in awe of the the quality of football. I, I think, you know, 93 is probably the best season of football ever for, for lots and lots of reasons, but mainly because it's probably the last time there was a, a big group of key forwards kicking lots of goals. But, yeah, we, we threw Everyone at Adelaide in that game, you know, kick it had a go, heard had a go, along with, you know, all of our, our defenders, Chris Danaher and, and you know, everybody else. We, we sort of threw everyone at him and, and did everything that we could to stop him and um, and we just weren't able to. And, yeah, 21 scoring shots were probably lucky he didn't kick straight, I guess. But, yeah, that's um, – it was just a. It was sort of. I was. I was on the wing. It was kind of like watching a game of tennis, really. Like you, you the ball's just bouncing from the center bounce to one end and a goal, and then back the other way. And uh, yeah, twenty three goals to nineteen. You, you just don't see that anymore. No, and I guess just before we move on, you know, people people often talk about how special Gary Ablett was, and I think there's probably a lot of people listening who you know only hear about him from from name or you know 
because of the exploits of his son. Just quickly, what describe Gary Ablett Senior as a, as a player for those that didn't get to see him? Yeah, well, I mean, it, to to paint a bit of a picture just in that game, he he kicked four, fourteen out of nineteen goals. He was Geelong's only multiple goal scorer, which was uh, which was pretty remarkable. And he scored ninety one points. And in modern context, we being Essendon only scored ninety one or more eight times in twenty twenty two. And Geelong, as the the premiers, only did it eight times in the home and away season. So. That, that's pretty phenomenal, but it was a high-scoring error. But, yeah, he, he was multiple players in one. Like, he, he in an era of um, of lots of big key forwards, he started his career as sort of a wingman and, and half-forward. He wasn't necessarily a, a Paul Salmon-sized uh, height key forward, uh, but he was just big and strong and, and could out-muscle anyone. When the ball was on the ground, he had, you know, to, to use a comparison of a Karen Essendon player, he had sort of Waller-like instincts, could turn and, and throw it on the boot and, and score them from anywhere. But but in the air, he had the, the strength of hands to mark as, you know, any of the, the you know, good key forwards of, of modern of the modern era. Uh, so yeah, he could get you on the lead. He could get you in a contest. He could get you on the ground. Uh, and, and that made matchups for him really hard because you needed someone who could get him in the air or compete in the air. But then when the ball came to ground, you need someone who could compete there too, which is why in that game in particular, we had so many different players that we tried to play on him and, and just couldn't find anyone to stop him. So yeah, I think he, he's the non-essent player that I would put at, at number one in, in my time watching footy as, as the player that I've most um, most loved to watch play football. Well, moving from moving from a season where we won the flag to a season where we won the wooden spoon, uh, we're looking at the Melbourne game from 2016 in round two. Essendon 11-14-80, defeat Melbourne 10-7-67. This is the win against the odds, the top-ups, uh, the, everyone at the start of the season after the WADA punishments were handed down. Uh, said Essendon wasn't going to win a game all season and to win one in round two was incredible. Uh, the key, key performances, Dave Bazaar-Harakis with 34 disposals, Zach Merritt, 32 and two goals, and then Joe Danaher, 21 disposals and, and two goals. So this is a really, this is a really powerful one for a lot of people. This is, this is the game that actually beat the North 99 game very close. I think it was 52 to 48% in terms of the vote between those two games. But I think just the emotion of that game really has stuck with a lot of people and, and how, you know, I think everyone sort of felt, okay, things are going to be okay. You know, it's it's not going to be the end of the world. What's happened, we'll get through it. What was your memories of that game? Yeah, I I, I didn't get the opportunity to go to this one. Uh, as most people will know, you know, I'm, I'm an Essence supporter because my, my dad was an Essence or is an Essence supporter and, and I didn't have a choice in the matter, not that, that I have any regrets about that, but my dad unfortunately had a stroke a couple of days before this game and was um, and was in hospital for um, many weeks and, and still suffering long term effects because of that these days. But uh, I went into the Royal Melbourne Hospital and watched this game with him um, by his side in the hospital bed. He still couldn't really talk at that stage and, and certainly couldn't um, move around too much. And uh, so yeah, we watched this one side by side and. Uh, yeah, no expectations, of course, but I guess if ever in my lifetime Essendon needed a win to bring some joy to the family, um, and and today in particular, that that was the day. So um, yeah, getting emotional just talking about it now. But I, you know, my my memories are are mostly just the you know the emotion from dad and and the tears um, when 
particularly when Parrish kicked that goal to put us a couple of goals in front late in the game. And, and you know, he stormed through the middle. He was only playing his second game and, and yeah, had the calmness to put that through. I think the, there was a fair bit of outpouring from, from Dad and I and, and, of course, all Essendon fans. But, yeah, that that one um, meant a lot for reasons that were more per, more personal than just football, albeit football was the driver uh, driver of it. So, yeah, incredible game. And, you know, we unearthed some some players in that game, didn't we? Like Parrish, um, you know, he showed that he was going to be a player. Um, Waller didn't have a, a huge game. I don't think he kicked a goal, but, you know, it was the second game that, that he played for the club. So, you know, Zach Merritt had a bit of a breakout game for him as well. He, I think he was only playing his 15th or 16th game in that one. So, yeah, and, and Zaka was incredible. I don't think Zaka gets enough credit for his career at Essendon, uh, let alone that season. He he had such a good season that year and really showed the leader that he is. So, yeah, great. Fond memories in a, in a pretty dark time, um, thanks to that game. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks for sharing the personal side as well. I know that, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to talk about those things, but, yeah, we I appreciate it that you're that open about that sort of stuff. Let's move Back to the Premiership year of 93 with the West Coast game of round 16. Essendon 12-17-89, defeat West Coast 13-9-87. Gary O'Donnell with 33 disposals and Sean Denham with 32 disposals. There's a big, fake key moment uh, in this game that stood the test of time. You, you, were, you were, were you at this one, sorry, or did we just watch this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was there, mate. Yeah, again, sitting on the opposite side to... Uh, of the ground to where Sheeds was. So, so yeah, obviously famous for, for Sheeds' reaction post-match. But, yeah, um, yeah, that were the reigning premiers again, wasn't it? And I think that was probably the game where a lot of Essendon supporters, well, probably more so the players maybe than the supporters, uh, believe that we we had a team that was capable of, of having a really good year. And I don't think we were prepared to, to talk premierships at that point. But, um, I think we were certainly starting to think that we were we were going to be better than maybe a lot of the pundits thought we were going to be, you know, going into that season. So yeah, pretty remarkable one. And uh, I think the thing that, that sticks out for me the most was was the hush when um, Fish Paul Salmon, who kicked the match winner, uh, was lining up for goal, and um, he he hadn't had a good day in front of the sticks. He, he hadn't kicked a goal to that point and had missed some really gettable shots. So there was this real anxious and nervousness. Um, you know, watching that one. But, uh, yeah, so that that was the one that sticks through to me. And, you know, it's been said before, but, um, you know, Dustin Fletcher, 18 years old, Joe Mercedes, 18 years old, Ricky Ollerenshaw, 20, James Hurd, 20, Paul Hills, 20, Gavin Wayne, 20, Michael Simons, obviously didn't play in the premiership side, but but 21, even Dean Wallace and, and Michael Long were only 23 themselves. We, we think of them as veterans in that team, but they were still pretty, you know, relatively junior in their careers. So, uh, yeah, what a team, what a win. Absolutely. And then another one of those water wins is the Collingwood 2009 Anzac Day game. Uh, Essendon 13-15-93, defeat Collingwood 12-16-88. There's a lot of good wins from the 2009 season that come to mind. Uh, the Carlton win a couple of weeks previously, then the St Kilda win when they were undefeated and the win against the Hawks that got us into the, the flag. None of those others made it through to the top eight, uh, but obviously this one did. And I think it was a pretty clear-cut favourite to make it this far. Uh, I'm not sure I have to go into too much detail with this one. Obviously, it's the coming of age of Paddy Ryder when Hill goes down early. Ryder moves into the ruck and, and shows what a great player he would be. Obviously, we didn't get all of that at Essendon, but what we did get was was pretty special. Uh, I remember this game, you know, for Lovett running through the middle and 
I felt dominating. And then I went and actually looked at the stats and I think he only had it 13 times. So it was one of those games where each disposal was so good, it was almost worth two. Uh, the other one thing that really stands out to me, I know everyone wants to talk about the Zara Arcus goal, but the Ricky Dyson goal, I think is outstanding. You know, the position he was in, if you think sort of thing where Dom Sheed kicked his, you know, grand final winner from, except it a further 10 metres out and in the wet, you're sort of getting an idea of, of what kind of goal that was in at that time. Uh, key players there, uh, Stance, 34 disposals, uh, Ricky Dyson with 27 and two goals. You were in the box that day. What's your takeaways from that? Yeah, the the, the box um, was right above Ricky Dyson, basically. So, had a great angle of that goal. Yeah, it, it's not talked about often enough, that one either, because... Um, yeah, Ricky Dyson's a bit of a shame. He, he had that off-field incident where, unfortunately, he was beaten up, um, not through no fault of his own at, at a nightclub from memory. And I think that really scarred him. And, and um, you know, that's not a conversation I've had with him, so I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, not divulging anything personal here. But, uh, yeah, he didn't seem to be the player he, he maybe could have been after that. But, yeah, a tremendous skill in the, with a wet ball to put that through. Uh, but yeah, the, the one that sticks out to me other than, than you know, the, all the things that you mentioned was, um, uh, you know, Essen fans were, uh, you know, love you all, but we're a fickle bunch and, and being down like we were, a, a percentage of them did leave early and, and just so happened, you know, the coaches' boxes are, are obviously in the MCC members. So it was, uh, it was uh, not your run of the mill sitting in the outer Essen fans that were leaving early, certainly not around us. It, it was, it was those that are sitting in the MCC and, and they did let us know what they thought of us in the, in the box. There were plenty of expletives. A couple of guys uh, banged on the glass and um, scared the crap out of a few of us. So um, I remember that. And, you know, if you're going to behave like that, you probably deserve to miss out on being there at the end anyway. So, yeah, I remember that side of it, mate. But, um, yeah, the the Zappa one's just going to go down in, in us in history forever and a day, isn't it? It probably, it probably almost hurt him a bit. You know, you, you talked about how good a player he was. I think people, you know, connect him to that moment and don't, think too much about the rest of his career there when it when it came to how good he was you know he was a a Crichton medalist in his third year I think it was 2011 and yeah obviously what he did in 2016 you know even at the end when he was struggling with injury he was still you know a player that could contribute to to success there yeah absolutely and just an Essendon person through and through right like you just tell he absolutely loved the club and um and was prepared to do anything to to try and be successful so um so, yeah, yeah, great memories of that one. Okay, moving on to game number seven, and it's another famous moment, some famous commentary. Uh, the West Coast 2004 round three game, Essendon 22-5, 137, defeat West Coast 2011-131. And if you ask anyone to describe this game in two words, it's it's the herd game. And I think one thing that people don't often think about, though, obviously they think about the controversy with, with Herd's comments about the umpires leading up, but Essendon, was coming off two big losses in in the first two rounds of that season. You know, a, a team that was sort of on the way down, but still had some fight in it. You know, it was a really important game for the remainder of that season. And obviously, Hurd stood up with 34 disposals and three goals. Uh, Lloyd with eight goals and, and three Brownlow votes. McCurry, three goals. Peveril, 29 disposals. You know, everyone talks about the end with her kicking that goal and you know hug, hugging the guy in the crowd. You were you were there in, in the box as as I pointed out on Twitter when I I spotted you on the highlights and and pointed you out there. What do you remember about that game? Yeah, I, I certainly remember the build up and and the pressure that we were we were under. I mean, 
you know, 2004, we were still a side that had expect and a club that had expectations to be playing in preliminary finals and beyond every year. And, and we'd had two disappointing years in 22 and 23, where we got knocked out by Port in semifinals. So, uh, yeah, we were uh, we were still very much a, a club that expected to go, um, you know, to do big things at least internally, and and we're under a lot of pressure for our start of the season um, because of that. So so I definitely remember that. Uh, I think the the bit that gets missed too is how good Lloyd was in that game. He he kicked eight um, in that one from ten disposals, and from memory, wasn't fully fit. I think he sort of played you know, a little bit injured and, and was able to push through that um, and ended up getting, uh, you know, probably shouldn't have got the three brown low votes, albeit you'd think if you kicked eight, you'd be stiff. Uh, but but Hurdy didn't get a vote at all. Uh, yeah, and when you have that much of an impact on a game, it, it, that's <laughs> almost inexcusable, I think. But yeah, I certainly remember that. And then and then I just, two other things, that, like most people were just being in awe of, of Hurd's last quarter in particular. Uh, and then the, the relief post-match when we'd actually won uh, because, uh, you know, these days you win a game like that given our performances of recent years and you're elated because, you you know, we, we've got another win and, and we haven't had enough of them. But at that time, you know, you still expected to win and, and when you did in a situation like we're in, it came as a bit more of a relief than, than maybe it has in more recent years. Yeah, and I think just, just to go back to her just quickly, you know, you, you don't only have to think about the role he played, particularly in that last quarter. You, have, you also think about his opponents, you know, so the West Coast midfield there of Cousins, Judd and Kerr, you know, you often hear people say that's the best premiership winning midfield of all time. And he he controlled that game against those three players as, as well as the other great West Coast players that they had at the time. Yeah, I think you, you, compared, it, you compared it to another, you know, famous Australian and just the way they controlled a game there in, in the running sheet. Do you want to just go into that quickly? Yeah, I was trying to think of an example of where I'd experienced a, a sports person just own a, a, a period of a game like he did in that last quarter in particular. He was pretty good for the whole match, but uh, particularly in that last quarter. And um, and the the only one that came to mind, I was lucky enough to go to Old Trafford in twenty when was it, 2019 when Steve Smith scored a double ton and he just completely owned... Now he so that was the test that he'd come back after being knocked out at Lords, and obviously that was his first series post uh, Sandpaper Gate. So the crowd were right into him, and the Manchester crowd's pretty special, and and I don't mean that in a good way. And um, and he just manipulated the English bowlers and fielders to to basically get them to bowl where he wanted, so he could hit the ball where he wanted. And that's the only other example that I've seen live. You know, there's lots of great athletes around the world who have done lots of great things, but in terms of yeah, actually live performances, uh, yeah, that, that's the the only other one that comes to mind in terms of complete ownership and, and dominance. We were talking about Ricky Dyson um, in that Pies game. That was his first game, by the way. Um, and I think Nathan Lovett Murray was playing his second game um, from memory. So, yeah, a couple of youngsters doing their thing. And for the final game, we're going to move back to Perth and back to 2013 uh, for the West Coast game in round 14. Uh, Essendon 15-8-98 defeat West Coast 13-13-91. Uh, and this, you know, if the previous game was the James Hurd game, this is the Joe Watson game. This is the, the week after he spoke about AOD on on the couch and then copped, copped quite a lot, you know, ultimately vindicated on AOD and copped a lot from the crowd for that statement. 
come back from 17 points down at three quarter time. Another one of those, you know, come from behind victories in, in, in that year. Uh, Joe Watson obviously was a standout with 29 disposals and two goals with Stanton having 27 and then Winderlich with three goals. What are your memories of this game? I was actually overseas. I, I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. I don't think I could deal with the, hearing all those boos. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it on TV. So, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't there live. And, you know, another one that, that win that meant a lot because, you know, Joe Watson, I think for all us and supporters, holds a pretty special uh, place in our hearts and, and the pressure that he'd been under to get that win for him, I, I think was pretty incredible. But beyond that too, just the way that he performed, he, he got three Brownlow votes on the night. Um, yeah, it was, it was clearly the best player on the ground and, you know, one of the more exceptional examples of leadership I think I've seen of, of any Essendon captain in my time. And and we've had some great ones. He he just picked the team up and, and put them on his back and um yeah, had some mates obviously, but but got a win that was that was pretty special. I think we also saw a little bit of insight in that game as to what Jason Winnelick could have been for us had he not been you know, had those back and hamstring injuries. Uh, you know, he played, you know, mostly forward that night and, and kicked three goals to be, from memory, I think our, our leading goal scorer. Sadly struck down. I think he could have had a, a, a much bigger career and had a much bigger impact on that club had not been for that. But yeah, uh, the other thing that I remember is posting on social media during the match how ironic it was that West Coast supporters would boo. Uh, I think my comment was it's ironic that there are people sitting in the main wearing stand booing a player for saying he's taken drugs, given um, obviously what Chris Mainwaring had been through. Uh, so, yeah, and not to mention a number of other West Coast players uh, pre and since then. So, so yeah, uh, they're the bits that stand out. But an all-West Coast matchup in uh, in game in in that game uh be interesting to see how people remember those two matches um you know heard versus joe two great Essendon captain performances uh yeah i, I think that's going to be a really close one uh i think the the other thing that stands out for me overall mate i, I mentioned on your twitter post today was that there's three west coast games in the final eight uh not a single carton game uh, uh, yeah I, I, I guess we had a lot of games with them where where we won easily. There was also a, a pretty famous draw in there as well. But yeah, I thought there might be at least one Carlton game to to sneak through. No, they all got knocked out, unfortunately. I think there's one, I think the one from 98, I thought once, once it came up, I, I started to remember, I thought well, that's actually a good chance, but it, I don't think it made it through the first round there. But I guess, you know, no. looking, looking back at the eight, what do you expect to be the winner? Oh, tough, tough to call. Uh, I think, and, and look, everyone has thinks about these things in different ways, don't they? It's hard to separate the football spectacle from the the emotion, and and people will have um, remembered these games for for different things. I think if if people are are going to vote from a, a pure football spectacle uh, perspective, then I think the '93 game against Geelong is going to be hard to top. Um, sitting on the fence a little bit here, obviously, but then the yeah the comeback in two thousand one, which you know which required a record breaking performance to do, I think will be will be right up there. And I think the the herd one is going to be remembered quite fondly as well. And and I think will um, will be right up there. So I, I reckon it's going to come from one of those three. What about you? Uh, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I think the other one is the Collingwood 2009 Anzac Day game. Uh, I think, you know, 
the first four games are in one half of the draw and the second four are in the second half. If I had to pick, I reckon it'll be North 2001 versus Collingwood 2009, which will hurt all the 90s kids. Uh, I know when this was first happening, everyone was assuming that the, the 90s would get forgotten. Uh, they've actually yeah. done they've actually done quite well, but yeah, I think that's where it'll end up. Do you think when it comes down to it, Essendon supporters are going to allow themselves to say that a Matthew Knight's coached Essendon team uh, was the best win we've had since the nineties. Well, I mean, it's it's probably one of those things where you can't believe that it was uh, that it was a Matthew Knight's win against the against the odds. I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. Starting from a wide barrier with, uh, yeah, I guess because of that. So yeah, um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, mate. I, great work on putting it all together. I'm really looking forward to to seeing it and. Um, yeah, it's been great to talk about some some great Don's moments through the off season. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining me to do that. Uh, if people listening to this want to get involved, you can uh, have your say on Twitter. You just need to follow me on Twitter. I'll put my put my Twitter account on the description of this episode. Uh, you can come and check that out. I've also every time I post a poll, I also post links to the stats and to the highlights. If you're looking for that. Uh, do you, you get a lot out of that? Um, I've made a really good use of the YouTube account. I want to make note of the YouTube account of uh, DW29392. Uh, I think that's what it is. I, I should have written that down. But I think if you go to that account on YouTube and look for any any SNN game you can remember in the past 35, 40 years, you're going to get a, a really great highlights package. So thanks so much to, to that person for all the work that they do. Uh, just before we end, just a, a bit of an announcement to what's coming up on the pod. Uh, so this Monday, so the uh, 30th of January, we're going to be having an interview with Rick Edwards. Uh, if again, this is Twitter. If you're on, tw- this is something you'll know if you're on Twitter. But if you if you're on Twitter and you're looking for Essendon content, Rick is one of the best. He he's a uh, consistent training watcher. He'll go down and he'll he'll post great great videos and, and pictures from pre-season training. I think people are, you know, starting to think about how things are going and and, and who's looking good and, and who needs to do a bit of work. So to hear from Rick, we're really lucky that he's agreed to come on and sharing his insights. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it and I think people will enjoy it. And then as Jono mentioned at the start of the show, uh, my interview with Nick Martin's dad, Greg, uh, not only is he, is he Nick's dad, but he was also a 45 year Collingwood supporter before switching to Essendon. So it's really interesting to hear his take on on Essendon and what it's been like since he switched. As John has said, that's now on Patreon, uh, but that will be coming out on February 7th. So uh, as John has sort of said at the start, any audio content that we do for Don the Stat uh, will always come out on the free feed. It'll just be bonus episodes that may be delayed a week just for, for the benefit of the patrons, but everyone will get to listen to them there. Uh, any final thoughts before we end tonight, Johnny? No, um, Bomber Rico is is Rick on Twitter. Give him a follow, and um, I mean, he's. I doubt there's anyone who listens to us who doesn't who who follows us on Twitter that doesn't follow Rick anyway. But he does he does a great work along with you know Charlie Dons and, and some others. Uh, but yeah, Rick shares a lot of video content and, and you know really beneficial for those like us who can't get to training and um, showed some. You know, speaking of, of Greg, um, show, uh, put up a Nick, Rick put up a great video of, of Nick's work at training today in the sort of scratch match, intercop scratch match. So worth a good look there, and, and looking forward to, to chatting to Rick and getting his insights on how preseason is going. But yeah, um, no, that's it from me, mate. Uh, well done on on getting this together, and, and thanks for all your hard work. It's been great fun, and, and looking forward to seeing how it plays out over the remainder of January. Excellent. Cheers, mate. Go Dons. Cheers, mate. Go Dons.